Signed my contract last night. I'm in. Woo! Had some uh, some of my friends in the congregation when I admitted I didn't have a Blackhawks jersey. I was a lousy fan. They they got one for me. Pretty crazy, huh? Can we talk about the Hawks? Is that okay? I mean, I know we're like daring faith, but come on. Wow. But I got to tell you that, uh, that 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 story right there is uh, is incredible. When I when I found out that we had Chinese ministry in Homer Glen and Lockport, you know, in our campuses there, I realized what the scope of Parkview is. And I, I was down in Decatur this whole last uh, whole, whole day yesterday teaching a bunch of uh, church leaders. And I, I see how many of them are able to, to, to grab things from us. They know what's going on. They, they get resources from us. We were doing life on mission stuff. It was really, really, really cool to see the influence that Parkview can have with, without even the stuff that we do in the rest of the world, just because we are here. We are one week away from one of the most important moments in our church's history. If you ask me, you know, what are the, what are the most important moments in Parkview's history? I would say it was the December of 1989 when they voted to hire me. But, um, you know, they really couldn't find anybody else at that point. They were pretty desperate. I, I got to be honest. And if you took my personal stuff off the table, you know, which I wouldn't. But if you did, you know, I'm baptizing all three of my daughters at this church. I've been here for 26 years. Two of my daughters getting married here. Um, you know, the, if you took those personal things, I mean, that's important to me, but if you took that personal stuff away and said one key moment, and I did this yesterday, I, I, I talked to these pastors yesterday, and I said, if you wanted to know the key moment, it was the moment in uh, 1997 when we had taken a vote to relocate and not all the church was on board and we weren't sure how things were going to go. And we did a generosity initiative, which if you're visiting, um, we're, that, that's where we're at. We're in the middle of this, this family kind of time, and we're glad you're here. We hope you understand. But the first time I did this, I was scared to death. I had no idea what was going to happen. I had no idea, you know, if, uh, I mean, the people were already divided. I knew this, and I'd never done it before. And, and so we were supposed to raise $750,000. That was our goal. And it's actually what we did more than that, and we were able to buy the property in Orland Park that we're on right now that, 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 that we're able to grow from. Um, we got, we, our goal was $750,000, and we got to that key moment, and um, they wouldn't tell me what, you know, what we had, you know, the commitments had come in. You know, we were trying to raise this money, and I was like, man, I, I just hope we get somewhere close because I don't want to be really embarrassed. You know, I don't, I'm not ready to leave yet. You know, I, you know all, those, all those feelings that are going through. And, and so they did the, you know, the kind of corny thing. Uh, you can turn over a number. You know, it's like Vanna White thing. Here's a number. Here's a number. Nobody cares about those numbers. It doesn't matter if it's a six or a three. Nobody cares. It's, you know, $10. $10 it's $100. It's whatever. We want to know the first number. There were six numbers going to be up there. And Brian Rigsby, who was leading our, our campaign, got up to do the first number. And I'm just like, please, Lord, let it be a seven, please, or at least a six or, or even a five, you know, and it's my lack of faith. And he flipped it over, and it, and it was a nine. And I promise you, my initial reaction was, he's got the sign upside down. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That idiot, I'm going to kill him. Um, but that was my lack of faith. Uh, that's really all it was because it was a nine. We were able to buy property, and you're here because of those key moments. And if you ask me about key moments in Parkview's history, I would say they, uh, they, they aren't the moments that you would think. They aren't the 24,000 people in Christmas Eve service or 700 people baptized in one weekend or those, those big things. Those were awesome. But the truth is those were the fruit of the days like we're going to have next weekend. They were the fruit of the people coming together saying, we're going to do this, we believe in God, we believe this is going to happen, and we're going to follow him. 
And, and it's never been easy. Um, you know, people always say they're behind you till you start talking about money. And, and, and I get that. And I'm glad that you're here. Um, I'll just, I just want to be, you know, real transparent. Somebody sent me this video, and it's in Japanese, which makes it even funnier. It's off the internet. It's a monkey trying to lead a dog, and it speaks for itself. This is what I feel like. <laughs> That's where we'll be on Mother's Day. We'll all be like, oh, yay, we made it, we did it. I'll be like, oh, hallelujah. Daring Faith is a uh, two-year generosity initiative. You've got one of these in front of you, in the chair back in front of you. I'd love for you to pull it out and just thumb through and see some of the things we're doing if you want to. If you don't have one, take it with you. If you do, it'll give you something to do other than playing Angry Birds on your phone while I'm preaching. Whatever, look through here and you can see it's our 65th anniversary and we are daring to raise $35 million over the next two years. Now let me explain that a little bit because some people have been a little bit confused. That's about a 50% increase over what would have happened. $10 million came in last year. That's our budget, all right? Uh, so this year, I'm expecting that 10 or 11 would come in. So over the next two years, 20 to $22 million is what would come in if we didn't take an extra step of faith. This is not like some kind of a crazy, un, uh, unreachable goal that we've got. This is about a 50% increase in what we're doing, okay? There, because there's more work to be done than we can do on our regular budget because we want to take a step of faith as a church. And again, if you're visiting, we're not asking you for money. We're glad you're here. I hope you'll understand what we're doing. We're, we're going to reach and raise and release. That's what we do. We reach people for Jesus. We raise them up as followers, and we release them to go do ministry. And a big part of what we're doing over the next two-year campaign is this. It's our new Linux campus. I was just talking to somebody from Manhattan. They said, I can't believe the word on the street already in Manhattan is, I, you guys are building a campus in new Linux. We can't wait. That's what, that's what this is going to be about. It'll look like a, 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 the same. It'll look like a mini version of what we got at Orland. It'll look a lot like Homer. It's going to be a, a 30,000 square foot building that you will come in and, and, and worship together. And um, it'll cause us the ability to be able to reach and to raise and to release. So, so grab a brochure, look along with it if you want to. If you want to jot some notes down, uh, 28 is probably where we're at. We're in week four, uh, page 28. If you want to write, write, just write some things down. Here's the deal. Our 2020 vision for about five years, maybe more, has been that by 2020, we want to have 100 international churches that we've planted, 20 national churches that we've planted, and be on five sites it, 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 here in, Park, in, in the Orland area, or in the South Suburbs area, okay? Where are we? This will give us our third site. 
We've launched nine national out of the 20, 60 out of the 100 international churches. And there are different ways to do international churches. I mean, we could say we've already done 100 because you can plant them pretty cheaply. But, but, and some of the ones we have were like that. But the ones that we're going to do as a part of Daring Faith are we're talking about six-figure commitments at least to, to the project that's going to go on in Brazil and in the Dominican Republic. And here's, I want to show you another video. I want to show you a video that I took in 2011 when we were doing our cannonball initiative five years ago. We were doing a cannonball initiative so that we could plant more churches and do more things. And I went to Ecuador and I went to another site where they had already built a building. It was $80,000 at the time. For $80,000, we could pay a pastor and build a church building and build a school all in this, in this town in Ecuador. So I'm at one that I'm showing what we could do. And then the end of the video is my friend Greg Nettle giving us a congratulation on the one that we did because of our last step of Daring Faith. Hey, I'm in Ecuador um, and outside of Manta on the coast of Ecuador, uh, working with Compassion International here with West Stafford, the president. This is a little village. I can't remember what it's called. Lost something because that's what they're all called. Ciao, girls. Ciao. These are my, this is my posse right here. Yeah, that was not planned, I promise. Ciao, girls. Ciao. Now they're hugging John. <laughs> okay, so whatever on the video. Uh, I'm, I'm showing you the village because I want you to see uh, what this project is all about. And then we're going to turn around and uh, go ahead and get a shot of this building. So for $80,000, we can... Oh, you can get in the picture, okay, Becca. So and guys, Becca. Say hi, Becca. And there's a little cutie pie. Hello, little cutie pie. For, for $80,000, what this project does, I'm just telling you, I don't know what we're going to do with it, but for $80,000, we can go into a village like this where there was no church, where there is nothing going on. We pay for a pastor and a church building for five years for $80,000, and then we get Compassion Child Sponsorships to match up with it, get 200 kids sponsored, uh, and all of a sudden, you can transform a village like this instantly uh, with just a simple step for a church like ours. Uh, I just wanted you to get a, a vision for it. I wanted you to see what's going on. It's a lot like what we're doing in a lot of other places, but it's so cool because we're actually here with the president of Compassion and the things that are going on. Uh, and uh, it's amazing what a little bit of money can do in a culture like this. Uh, cannonball. Hey, Parkview. I'm Greg Nettle, and I have the incredible privilege of serving as president of Stadia Global Church Planting. Just this past year, I had the opportunity to travel to Ecuador and visit a church that you all helped plant in partnership with Stadia and Compassion International. While I was there, I got to see the nearly 300 children that are being cared for by an extension of your ministry, the more than 200 adults that call that church their home. Most importantly, I was able to spend the day with a young family whose lives have been absolutely transformed through that new church that you helped plant. Just a couple of years ago, no church existed in the community where this family lives. But you stepped in, invested, prayed, sponsored kids, and here's what happened. The three young children in that family began attending Compassion's Ministries in that local church. Pretty soon, mom began attending the local church. Not long after that, dad started attending as well. Mom and dad in this family were not married at that time. A few months later, the father gave his life to Jesus, became a follower of Jesus Christ. 
the first thing that he did was went to that local church pastor and said, we believe that following Jesus, we need to be married. And so that local church pastor performed that wedding. And today, those children growing up in that Jesus-following home have a committed mom and dad committed to one another through marriage and through Jesus Christ. Amazingly enough, that young man, Manuel, is now a worship leader in that local church. An amazing family transformed by Jesus because of people like you. On behalf of the nearly 300 children in that local church, of the more than 200 adults that call that church home, on behalf of Stadia, on behalf of me personally, thank you. Isn't that cool? That's just one family, you guys. That's just one family. And uh, by the way, that guy, Greg, is one of my stinkling buddies. If you hear me talk about the, the three guys I partner together with that do ministry together, he's one of the guys that holds me accountable and is in my life. What we need here is uh, everybody to be in, okay? Uh, I mean, somehow, some way, everybody be in. It means if you're already giving, um, you're going to write down the stuff that you're already giving, and we're challenging you to go above and beyond and figure out what you can do differently. I mean, for our family, that's what we are going to do. And it's one fund, and it's one thing. So it's anything that's going to go on over the next couple of years is going to be daring faith, whether it's in Ecuador or what happens at a campus with China, uh, with Chinese people or, or whatever. And everything that you give is going into this one fund, all right? And for those of you that give regularly, this is a time of challenge. And, and also, I think what I love about doing something like this every once in a while, it's the fifth time for us is that I know there are a lot of people that are connected to Parkview, you call it home, and are just not regular givers. And this gives you an opportunity to say, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to make it happen. Because you know you're not going to take it with you. Okay? You know that. Guy stashes money in the attic, bag of money. And he told his wife, hey, hon, just leave that money there, and I'm going to grab it on my way up to heaven when I die. She's like, no, no it's not going to work. And he said, yeah, it's going to work. Just leave that bag of money there. So she did. Sure enough, he died. She went up and checked the bag. Bag of money was still there. She said, ah, oh, that idiot. I should have put it in the basement. But I'm You're not going to take it. It doesn't matter which way you're going. You're not going to take it with you, okay? And I hope that you'll leave Parkview in your will. I'm going to do that too, but, but that, that's easy. We're gone then, okay? Here's the, here's the important part, and these are the words of the guy we follow, Jesus. He said, where your treasure is, your heart will be, okay? He doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will be. He doesn't say like, oh, if your heart's there, go ahead and you know, jump in. He says, where your treasure is, your heart will be. And I believe that God is challenging us to radical sacrifice during this season. That's what daring faith is all about, our challenge to live generous lives so that we can have more of those stories, more of the two stories you've already heard and the, and, the, and the hundreds of thousands, literally, of other stories that we have along the way. And we need everybody involved in this. That's what's going to happen. So next weekend is Commitment Weekend. This is when we jump. I hope that you won't avoid it you just because you're thinking, well, I'm not going to do this. I want everybody to be here. This is when we jump. I want to pack the place out. I want news media here. I want helicopters flying over, police in riot gear, because people are so psyched about what God is going to do. And I want God to win big next, next week, so don't miss next weekend. If you're not going to be here next weekend, then sure, throw your commitment card in now if you want to, or mail it or whatever, you know, but, but, but be in and be here next weekend. It's, it's going to be phenomenal. I want, I, want the, I want our church to be like the book of 
of Acts. That's what I want. The book of Acts, they start the church, and the people shared their stuff, and they prayed, and they studied the word of God together, and the church blew up. And that's how they changed the world. And literally, they went to 100,000 people in a matter of a few years in a town of 200,000. That's the kind of church that I want to be, a church that has uncommon compassion, feeds the poor, clothes the naked, helps the hurting, plants churches, loves the unlovely, and has a great ministry for kids, and, and, and a message that never changes but is always relevant to the people around us that Jesus loves them. I was talking to some people this last week who had some friends that they knew, but they didn't really know them that well, and they didn't know that these friends were going through some problems. And, um, and they were chatting with them, and, and the people said, yeah, they, we've been going through some stuff, but we've been going, <laughs> they said, we've been going to that church up the street, and uh, it's really helping. They didn't even know that, the, that my friends went to this church up the street. They didn't even know that, which, you know, shame on you. But I love hearing that. I love hearing that people are meeting people that are being helped by Parfew, and, that, and that's the deal. My theological conviction is that we bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven, right? Picture of the kids behind the gates. It's a symbolic picture. Uh, we didn't let those kids go hungry, um, but those kids don't have room in the school that we're in in Kenya, and that's another part of the project that we are in in, uh, in the Daring Faith is to be able to do more of our work in Kenya. And, and these are the kids that couldn't get in, and that's just a picture of me of the people, the prodigal children that can't get into the kingdom because there's not room for them because we haven't done what we were supposed to do. And Jesus was always asking for a partnership. When he said, you're going to bring thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then he went on in the rest of the Lord's prayer, and he said what? Forgive us our trespasses. How? As we forgive those who trespass against us, right? It's a partnership. I mean, lead us not into temptation, but don't go walking into temptation. Give us this day our daily bread, and, and we'll bake some when you give it to us, okay? It's a partnership, and that's what the gospel is. Then again, I showed this to my church leaders yesterday. This is where I'm living, right here, my world population graph. When I was born in 1961, there were 3 billion people. Now there are 7.4 billion people. God put me here for a reason, and I feel a sense of urgency. So if I, if I seem all jacked up on Mountain Dew to you about the things that we do around here, it's because I believe it is eternal, and I believe God put me here for that reason. And I know that there are prodigals out there. I know that there are, there are kids who've been away from God very long time, little bit of time, doesn't matter. They've been away and they need to come home and they need a place to sit. They need a place for their kids. They need a place in the Dominican Republic, in the tobacco-growing regions of the Dominican Republic where other people don't want to plant churches. They need, they need, a, they need a church in Brazil because the Olympics are going to be there. Things are going to be crazy. They need a place in New Lenox. Four million people within a 30-minute drive time of our campuses. So, yeah, they need a place to come home. And here's the problem. Most churches, like these church leaders that I was visiting with yesterday, teaching down in central Illinois, they, they, they know that they want to have a mission. They just don't know how it's going to happen. Jesus always lived his mission. He said, I'm here to seek and save the lost. And then he went and hung out with them. If we say that we have a mission, then we have to go and live the mission, okay? I showed this picture again to these church leaders, and you need to see it. It's, it I'm, this guy's going to punch me in the face someday when he meets me, and, and it's going to be okay. I'm just going to say, you're right, I deserve it, because i got a lot of mileage out of this. Katy Perry comes on the scene. I kissed a girl, and I liked it, and he just felt theologically convicted to yell at her with his church sign. I kissed a girl, I liked it, then I went to hell, okay? 
bad idea. And I know he knows it's a bad idea. And, and it's okay. I've done dumb things too, dude. I, whatever. Okay? But what killed me about this sign is there's a, there's a little lost lamb on the sign. And the moniker says, we're finding and feeding his sheep. Unless, of course, they kissed a girl, you know, and liked it. You know, we're not finding them. We're only finding a certain kind of sheep. No, and what do I call that? I call that gracism. It's not about the color of your skin. It's about the color of your sin, okay? And we don't do that around here. All of us have sin. All of us are in the same boat. And whatever the color of your sin, we welcome you because we're all sinners too. And Jesus hates gracism as an attitude. We know that. But there's another form of gracism that is when we don't make room for people. I mean, think about it. How different would it have been if Rosa Parks had showed up to ride the bus and said, I'm sorry, we really don't mind that you're black. We just don't have any seats for you on the bus. I mean, maybe it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been as degrading, but the result would have been the same. She still wouldn't have felt welcome and loved. And you are here because somebody made room for you on the bus. No judgment about your sin or your skin or your baseball team loyalty or your pet preference. None, okay? Just because we love you and we want you to be with the Father and we need your help to help us make room for more roses, okay? 2 Corinthians 9. If you got your iPhone, Bible, you can turn to it. Uh, Aaron Brockett, my friend down in Indianapolis, did a great job with this passage. Let me give you some stuff out of here. This is important because the, it may come as a shock to you, but raising funds for projects was in the Bible. The Apostle Paul did it. He's raising funds for the church of the believers in Jerusalem. And he's writing to the church at Corinth, which is in a, in, in a good place economically. I mean, it, Corinth is a bustling city, and things are going really well. And he says, I don't really need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers of Jerusalem. I mean, that's a little tongue-in-cheek sarcasm. He's saying, you know, look, I, I don't need to really write this, but I'm writing you this letter because we're going to make a big offering to help the church in Jerusalem. Here he says, I want it to be a willing gift, not, a, not, a, not, not one given grudgingly. Please, please understand that. Paul understands something about human nature. Okay? Anytime we talk about money, finances, giving, generosity, all of us, myself included, our defenses go up. Sphincter tightens up just a little bit. All right? Isn't that, isn't that true? I mean, I feel you. Maybe it's because somebody's messing with our idol. Maybe it's because they're messing with our sense of security. So this is what Paul does. He, he knows they're feeling this as they're reading this letter. So he says, look, let's not talk about, you know, money or your commitment. Let's talk about farming. Obviously, they understood farming. Remember this, you guys. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Look, that's where we are. That's exactly where we are. We're living in a generous crop right now because we sowed seeds, we planted generously. He says generosity is like investing. It's like farming, okay? You understand that. We are here because of the amazing investment that people did in 1997 and three other times in the past 12 years. And I know a lot of pastors have abused this passage of sowing and reaping to pad their own ministries. This is not about giving to get. Sometimes in farming, you plant seed and it doesn't work out like you want, all right? But here's what I do know. You will never get a harvest if you don't plant something. That's the daring nature of faith. So he drives down in verse 7 and he says, and don't, don't finish this sentence if you know it already, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a person who gives 
what? God loves a person who gives, what, what do you think this is? A lot? A lot? Is that what it is? Yeah, that might, that might be true. I, I mean, it could be. The Harlows are going to give a lot, in my mind, to this campaign. We, we, we are going to give double what we gave in Cannonball five years ago. We're going to give way more than a tithe. Of, of what we have and trust God to do more because we've been blessed. Matter of fact, we, we made a commitment, you know, at the advanced commitment night, and we've already decided to up that considerably um, because I've been chal- I'm challenged myself, you know? So I have a new slogan. I up to my pledge, up yours. Okay? You with me? God loves a person who gives a lot. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that's it. Because one day, Jesus took the disciples to do a little re- surveillance mission on the, on the, on the offering. Okay? The offering that was taken and had a little box in the wall of the temple where people would come and bring their offerings. And, and, and this guy comes and he, 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 he puts in a big bag of money. It was a lot. And he even hired a trumpet player to be there because he wanted everybody to know what was going on. And I was like trying to put that into perspective. To me, that's like, that's like the offering basket is getting ready to come to you, and you have your phone set. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know my phone was going off. And then you pull your wallet out, and you start flipping out the Benjamins right there, you know, so that everybody can see. That's what this guy did. He's like, played the trumpet. He hired a trumpet player, and he put in a big bag of money. He gave a lot. What did Jesus say? Did he, is that how we're supposed to give? No. Jesus said, hang on, watch. Hang on, watch what happens. I mean, honestly, that guy, Jesus would have said, you might as well have gone and bought a Bentley or done whatever else you wanted to do with your money because that was, you were just doing it for show. But then this poor little widow came up and she put in two little pennies, two little mites. I got my ring. My, this, is a, this is a widow's mite from 2,000 years ago. I got it when I was in Israel. There's a, a lot of antiquities in Israel. They found a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of these little coins as the Dead Sea has receded. So I, I got one that's in a ring. I keep it on my finger when I wear this around to remind myself. She gave two pennies. She didn't give a lot. She sacrificed. That was the difference. Each of you should give what he has decided in, in his heart to give, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Cheerfully. That's fun to say. Francisco. <laughs> Everybody say cheerfully like Buddy the Elf would. Cheerfully. Yeah, see? That's, that's what this is supposed to be. It shows authenticity. It shows the, the, the area of our heart. That's what he's saying. I'm, I'm not trying to pull money out of you. I'm not dragging you across the river. I, I just want you to understand that you get the opportunity to partner with God. And, and you know, he, he basically is saying, look, he's going to go on and say, you don't, God doesn't need your money. Do you understand that? The, the Bible says, the God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or goats from your pens. Every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I own every bird in the mountains and the insects of the field are mine. Kill the mosquitoes, please. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. I, the world is mine and all that is in it. God doesn't need us to give because he needs money. God doesn't need us to give so that, so that he can have a campus in New Lenox. God will figure that out. He wants us to partner with him, and he wants us to do it cheerfully. 
When our kids were young, if I, were, if I was eating out or if we were doing fast food or whatever, I rarely ordered French fries. My wife just wouldn't let me, okay? Even back then, I knew they were, you know, bad for you. But you know what that's like when you're sitting around a meal and somebody else got fries and you didn't, and, you know, you get done with your food. And, and so when my kids were little, at some point, you know, I, I might say, can I have a fry? And when they were younger and less mature and didn't understand, they might say, no, those are my fries, mine, 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 mine. And I would want to say, listen, darling little daughter, I'm going to have to sit through hours and hours of bad soccer games in your life where all the little kids just run back and forth to the same ball over and over. I'm going to have to sit through hours and hours of band concerts and madrigal singing. I hate madrigal singing, but I'm going to sit through it for you. And you telling me you can't give me a fry? I'm going to pay for most of your college and give you way too much money for your stupid expensive wedding on some day, and you can't give me a fry? Actually, come to think of it, darling daughter, I bought those fries. They're already mine. Give me a fry. I need that sound effect thing around with me all the time, Danny. I love that. It'd be great. A bit of stoplight, you know, somebody's mad at you. Is that how you want to treat your dad? I mean, that's the question. God doesn't need our money. But here's the thing. Our money is usually God's chief competition. Money is taking up too much of our focus and energy and intention. That's why Jesus said, you know, send your treasures where you want your heart to be. That's how it's supposed to work. I mean, let me, let me ask you this. Do you believe this verse? My God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need. Is that really what you believe? I mean, we could talk about needs. We could talk about, you know, how if you make $34,000 a year, you're, you're uh, in the top 10% of people in the world. Okay, we, we could talk about all those things. But, but the bottom line is I do believe it. I believe that we are the church at Corinth. I believe that, 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 that God has been faithful and he will be faithful again and he will give me everything I need. So let me ask you a question. This is very simple. If you were God, would you give you more money? If you were God, would you give you more money? Aaron Brockett, my preacher friend, said he had a, had a mentor who said, you know, your life is like the little rocks in the bottom of a stream. O over the years, the current smooths out the rocks in a stream. They've been shaped by the flowing of the water. And there will be thousands of paychecks that will flow into your life and out of your life, and they're going to shape your life. And they're going to shape your heart. That's why the Bible talks more about money than anything else. Because it's the number one thing that will shape your heart. And there's some important things you need to understand about generosity. Okay? Generosity is the most, is, has the most impact when it's premeditated. Most of us in the Western world are good people. If there's a disaster, we're like, oh, yeah, text to give, you know. I mean, I want to help those people, right? We're we, we always there. And then somehow we get to tax season, you know, like we, we just got through, right? And we look at our charitable giving, we're like, oh, man, I, I don't know. Do you have a feeling when you get your taxes, you're like, charitable deductions, oh, I did more than I thought? I was going to do, or I did more than I thought I did? 
Or do you, did you do less? You, 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 if you're like most Americans, you probably did less. Why is that? It's not because you're not good. It's not because you don't have a good heart. It's because you didn't premeditate your generosity. The Apostle Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, he says, On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Okay, this is the tithing principle. Save it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Do you know what I want to do? I want to get to the point where we don't pass baskets anymore. And we're already at 50 to 60% of our giving online. And when we can get to the point where we're at the point where we're comfortable with it, we maybe just put an offering box in the back, we won't pass the offering anymore. And it's not because I don't, it's not because it's not a good idea. It's because a lot of times you guys who are visiting right now, you're like, oh, you're talking about money. That freaks me out. And I don't want to freak you out. I want you to come home. I want you to feel welcome. So, so if you do it automatically, that's what Daring Faith helps us. It helps us to premeditate our generosity. And second, generosity will put your finances in order faster than anything. Why is that? It seems counterintuitive, but why is that? Well, I'll talk about the God factor in a minute, but the first thing it does is it makes you sit down and figure out where your money is going. I mean, it really does. Do you know? Do you have a budget? Have you been through FPU? Because it's going to help you to get your stuff together. It's going to help you because it's going to help you budget. It's going to help you because God is going to supply all of your needs. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly. He has all the fries. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Doesn't that sound great? Now, he who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The law of planting and harvesting, it just makes sense. Nothing you can do about it. It's true in relationships. It's true in your health. It's true in your family. It's true in your marriage. You, what you invest, you will get back. If you don't invest, you won't get back. You harvest what you plant. Can I say, the Chicago Cubs are bearing the fruit of the sowing and reaping principle right now, aren't they? I mean, for years, people have been like, you know, why don't the Cubs buy some better players? Why don't they put their money where their mouth is? And they did this year. And the Cubs have a really good team this year. I mean, why do you think the, you're welcome, why do you think the Yankees, they should, they paid for it, okay, this is good, this is, this is okay, this is baseball. Do you know the Yankees have played in 40 of the 111 World Series that have been played in human history? 40 out of 111, you know why? Because they're the richest team in baseball, they paid for it. It's the law of planting and harvesting, okay? It just makes sense, that's how it works. Let me give you some principles of harvesting, planting and harvesting, and hopefully this will help you in any area of your life, even if you're visiting today. Everything starts as a seed. Everything starts as a seed. It starts really small. If you'll take out your commitment card, I would love to talk you through this because I don't want anybody to be confused. It's in front of you in the chair back. Just take it out and look at it, or you can see what I got up here on the side. Here's what we're doing next week. What do we normally give in the year? Again, let me be clear about this, okay? So if this was the church... We would say normally our budget is $10 million, okay? And, and that's what we would put up there. That's what would normally happen. And then what would we be able to do above and beyond that? And what we're hoping is for, you know, another whatever, $7 million. 
another $6 million to come in on top of that. And we total that up. Now it's, let's just say that's $17 million is what we're doing there. And then you double that over there and it would be $34 million. And maybe there's gifts from stored resources. This is what I want you to do next week is to plant the seed. Next year, what, uh, what, what do we normally give? I just looked at my W-2. What we normally give is fill in the blank. $500, $50,000, whatever it is. That's what we normally give. What could we do extra? What could we do that would be a little bit crazy? What if God really could supply all my needs? I'm going to total it up times two. It's a two-year thing. Or don't mess with all the workbook stuff. It doesn't matter. Just write down your two-year commitment on there and plant a seed. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, God will enlarge the store of your seeds. Everything has to start with a seed, however. It doesn't work unless it's planted. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like someone who plants a seed in the ground. Night and day, whether the person is asleep or awake, seed grows. You know this, right? I know you're not farmers, but you know this. This is how it works. Seed will grow. The person doesn't even know how it grows, but it will. Everything starts as a seed. It doesn't work unless it's planted. You will only harvest what you plant. Paul said, don't be misled. No one makes a fool out of God. Whatever a person plants, he will harvest. And that, that's what this is going to be about next week. And I want to challenge you. What else can you do? What, what can you sell? What can you do that's sitting around? And we had a, we had a, I had a friend that had a capital campaign one time that they were in at a church, and a woman said, you know, I felt God telling me I ought to go up to the attic and look at my dad's baseball stuff he gave me. She found, um, she found a Babe Ruth autographed baseball they sold on the internet for $100,000. It was in her attic. She didn't know. What, is, what has God got going around in your life? A person who plants selfishness, Paul said. Here's the, here's the message paraphrase of this. Ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. And all has to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. Fourth, I am the harvest of someone else's seed. I mean, that, that's, that's true. Jesus said, I sent you to reap where you have not sown. I am the harvest of my parents and my family, my in-laws, the family tree, I am the harvest of the fruit. I am the fruit of, of their planting. And you and this church are the harvest of people, two ladies on a train in 1948 who planted a church in 1951. We are all bearing that fruit. And the question is, what fruit is going to be born from what we're doing next weekend? Number five, I always harvest more than I plant. I mean, I, this is a packet of tomato seeds. If I plant this, you know what's going to happen? A lot of big, juicy tomatoes are going to come up, okay? I don't usually plant seeds because we live in a zone, climate zone, that God didn't really intend people to live in because it's, you know, not enough growing season. So I usually go to Costco and buy those suckers that are like this high. Have you seen, you know, they're like this high. They already have tomatoes on them. You know, before you plant the plants, that's what I usually do so that I have enough harvesting season to be able to get my tomatoes. But even if I plant a plant, I'm going to get a lot more tomatoes back than I ever planted in the first place. And that's what this is going to be about next weekend. And the parable of the soils, I've been thinking this over a lot. Some seed fell on good soil, it came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, even 100 times. That seed that those ladies planted... 
I'm even thinking in 1990 when I got here, the seeds of the people that were faithful along the way. I'm thinking about it this week. Our church is 50 times larger than it was in 1990. That's the parable of the soils. We're always going to get back more. The Bible says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. That's what we're going to do next week. And here's the other thing. You know, generosity helps you to get your budget, helps you to get everything figured out. And then this is the other thing that I've been processing for a long time, and you've probably seen me do this before, if, if you've been around here for very long, okay? This is what uh, Pastor Bill Hybels told us one day at a stewardship summit that we were doing. And he, he said, here's how preachers usually preach, okay? We usually preach that if B is where you want to get in your life, let's say it's retirement with a certain amount of money or whatever, financial goals, whatever it is, if B is your goal, then, then you're at A right now, then what is it that, that this is going to look like for you to get to B? And that's what we do. That's why you have a financial planner, right? You go through these over and over again, and, and you sit down every once in a while, and you say, how are my investments? How are things going? And, and usually your financial advisor will say, if you're at A, you're going to need to do this so that you can get to B. That's how it's all going to work. I'm going to get to B someday. And then he says, what pastors normally do is normally we get up and we say, what if you took the biblical idea of trusting God with the first fruits and said, like, maybe I'm going to use 90% and I'm going to add God to it. What if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and God adds all these things? I honor the Lord with the first fruits and, and then my barns are brimming over. What if that happens? And that's usually what we talk about. And then he got up and he said, you know, but the problem with this is what if... There's a C. I mean, what if B is just like nothing compared to where God wants to take you? And I got to tell you, that's why it's so much easier for me to do this generosity initiative and challenge our people because I live in the life of C. My life is not perfect. I have problems. I have spiritual warfare. I have the things going on that you do. But here's the deal. I can say now that five times I've gone, I've done the once-in-a-lifetime kind of a gift, and five times, and all over my life, I've trusted God with the first fruits, every paycheck that came in, and I live in the life of C. I live in a life, I told these church leaders this yesterday, I, I can't believe what God has done. I have, can't believe how blessed I am. And it's not about money. It's about everything else. It's about a, a life that I never could have possibly imagined, about a ministry that I never possibly could imagine. That's what it's about. For God who supplies seed to the farmer and bread to eat will give you more and more seed to plant and will make it grow so that you can give away more and more fruit from your harvest. That's what I'm challenging you. That's what I believe is going to happen next weekend. Let's pray. Lord God, I just want to pray that you'll be with us as we, uh, as we spend some time in worship, preparing our hearts for communion, preparing our hearts to remember that you gave everything for us, and uh, so it shouldn't be that hard for us to think about these fries. <laughs> They're your fries, and you've done so much more than we could possibly ask or imagine, and I know that you will, and I'm living proof of that principle. But Lord, as we think about it, just be with us. Be with our hearts. Let us be cheerful. That's what we're about. Uh, let us hear these stories like we heard from Ecuador and, and from our other campus and, and the 
7,400 people that have been baptized and on and on and on. All the crazy stories that I, were, I was able to tell those other church leaders. All those crazy stories that as I was telling them made me think how excited I was to come back to my congregation that gets it and loves you and wants to do what you ask them to do. I'm blessed. We are blessed. We worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen.